So apparently, there are more weddings scheduled in 2022 than the U.S. has seen in 25 years. Are you going to one of them? Yeah. yeah. Weddings. They're fun. They're celebrations. You get to see family and friends you haven't seen maybe for decades. And they kind of take over your life, don't they? At least for a week, maybe a weekend, maybe longer if you're in the wedding. Here's what I can tell you about weddings that I've gone to. They're exhausting, right? By the time the weekend's over, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're broke, especially if you're in the wedding, right? Like, can you be at my wedding? I don't know. Let me see. I'm going to apply for a loan and see if I can afford it. Um, right? It's expensive. We, we love it. Uh, we're, we're going to celebrate something new. Weddings are good. Well, Today's text, which is going to be in Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 21, your life is described as two things, and one of those things is a wedding. And I think that kind of makes sense to us, maybe not the way the text is going to talk to you about it. In fact, I, I can guarantee you, you don't see your life the way that this text is going to teach you about weddings. And secondly, it's going to tell you that your life is a war. Now, that makes sense to us. I think we can look at life and say, yeah, life feels like a war to me. The truth is that there's a bigger arc of all of history. There's a story that's being unfolded throughout time and history that's getting more intense, that you and I are a part of, and it's to the point where it's, it's, it's hard to see. It's hard to believe that we belong there anymore. It's hard to believe that my life should be like a wedding. But we do feel the war. So as, as we jump into this text today, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you want to be married, whether you don't, you get the idea. And the text is going to describe your life today. It's both a wedding and a war. Now, just a little bit of background. We came out of last week in Revelation chapter 18, 17 and 18. We saw that the main pull there was that you were being seduced away from God. You were being systematically taught not to rely on God. It's a good way to waste your life. We see Babylon gets destroyed. Now we're going to see the outcome of that. Let's pray, and we're going to jump right in. We're going to see what the Lord has for us. And just before we pray, um, if, you, if you're new to church, you're like, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if I believe in God. Please feel welcome. Please feel that everything that you ever have learned happens in a community with people around you where you can ask questions. It's no different with the Lord. Um, nobody here is special. So we invite you to learn along with us. Here's what I would ask you, though. Assume that God has something for you today. Assume that God has something to say to you. Pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you don't leave us alone. You give us your word, Lord. Not just as information, but that it's living and active and 
we pray this morning, as we always do, that you would open up your word, that we might behold its beauty and its power, that we might know you in a true way, Lord. We lift this up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, two basic movements in this text we're going to walk through because it's a lot of text. And just so you know, this is the end of the sixth section of Revelation. Now, you might have heard, now we've talked about this several times, I keep reminding you, Revelation is not meant to be read chronologically. Chapter 1 through 21, do not sync up like that. It's seven sections retelling the same story over and over and over from Jesus' resurrection to his return. So we're at the end of the sixth section. So you're going to see the return of Jesus again. But it's going, to be look, it's going to look like two things. One is this wedding that we're going to read about in verses 1 through 10, and then a war, which will be in 11 through 21. So let's read. Chapter 19, Revelation, starting in verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute, that's Babylon, who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke of her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, again, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb, that is Jesus, has come. And his bride, that is the church, has made herself ready. It was granted or given her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, mm, you must not do that. I am your fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit a prophecy. Friends, you're in a wedding. You are to understand your life right here, right now. This is not for the future. I mean, it is, but please don't hold it there. You are in a wedding. Your life is wrapped up in a love story that transcends before you got here and probably after you leave. You're in that story. You're in a wedding, and it needs to affect you right now. Now, now you see the text, it's moving from heaven, from the throne. We know this because the four living creatures, those elders, they were around the throne. Do you remember that? And this praise and this worship 
for God's victory over Babylon extends from the throne room through heaven all the way down, as we will see when we get to the war, all the way down to the earth. It includes his bride, the church that is worshiping him. So there's joy to be heard from heaven because of God's victory. Now, we get really philosophical about this, especially in the church. Like, yeah, yeah, God wins. Mm -hmm. No, he's victorious over your worst enemy. Do you guys remember October 2019, what happened? It's not COVID. What happened? The Nats won the World Series. Like, what does that have to do with the Bible? Nothing. (laughs) But what I want to tell you is that is so good to us who love the Nats because they don't win World Series. They are the consummate underdog. They're playing Houston in game seven, the Astros in Houston. We knew they weren't going to win. Six innings in, we're pitching our best, and they got two runs on us. We got zero. It's not going to end well, but we're like, hey, we're just happy to be here. We're the underdogs. We expect to lose. We expect to come on. We're still going to cheer them on when they come off the plane. Oh, and then Rendon. Crack. I'm afraid to hope. And then old man Howie Kendrick sends one over the fence. And by the end of the game, D.C. was just, this whole region was blowing up. Friends, that is exaltation. That's to exult. That is when your happiness and your joy, because it so surprises you, can no longer be a private thing. It becomes a public demonstration. This is what you see the church doing. They are so overwhelmed by the underdog victory of Jesus who wins, not with the sword of his hand, but just by being the faithful and true witness that gives up his life and his body for the bride. And it's a total victory. Total victory. It's an away game, too. Total victory. This is what it should feel like, euphoria. Your joy is so good, it's got to go public. You've got to demonstrate it. This is what we see. Hallelujah, amen, or amen, hallelujah, is how they say it, which essentially means, so be it, full trust in God. We see what he's doing. We're all in. And why is it so good? Why is it so good? Not just because it's the underdog. Not just because if you were to look at Babylon and say, oh, there's no way we're going to win this. Let's just find a way to endure it. It's so good because it says right here, for the marriage of the lamb, that's Jesus, has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's the church. So let us rejoice and exult and give him glory because the marriage is here. Friends, you're in a wedding. You're the bride. You are the bride. You know what that means? This is going to be hard for you to hear. God is really into you. He is in love with you. The way that God explains it in the Old Testament and the New Testament is he's in love with you. He won't 
stand by and watch you get destroyed, even if it's at your own hand. He will aggressively destroy your destroyer and make you the public object of his affection. That's what it means to believe the gospel. You, my friend, are in a wedding, and you're the bride. I mean, I do weddings. I love to do weddings. Do you know who everybody at the wedding came to see? It ain't me. It ain't the groom. They all look the same. Black and white tux. Cool. They came to see the bride. The right is the church. God is not some disaffected deity, friends. He is head over heels in love with you. Hosea, small book, one of the last prophets to speak to the northern kingdom to say, you keep on, it's just going to end badly. God's going to let these nations overrun you. I'm like, nah, we're good. He explains the relationship between Yahweh and Israel this way. Chapter 216, and in that day, which is shown in Revelation, doesn't say that, declares the Lord, you will call me, capital M-H, my husband. Hosea Chapter 2, verse 19, and I will betroth you forever, and I will betroth you to me in righteousness, key word, and in justice. In other words, you belong there. In steadfast love and in mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. We just look over that, don't we? Friends, you're in a wedding. Are you ready for it? Here's a little bit of a pro tip. Guys, you know this. If one of your friends marries somebody that you don't like, that friendship ends. It's just the way it works. If you disdain your friend's wife, you're probably going to lose a friend. It's just the way life works. You can't love Jesus and hate his church. You're going you're to cross him on that. It's very, it's very in vogue in Western culture to say, I love the Bible and I love Jesus and all that, but, you know, I just don't like the church. Be careful about what you say about his bride. Now, I get it. A lot of us have been wounded at the hands of the church. True. But remember, the church doesn't save. The bride never saves. It's the true husband. So, I'm going to ask you to evaluate your relationship with the Lord for a moment in light of your relationship with the church, is there any commitment structure there? Is there membership? Is there, like, do you actually give to your people here? Because we're the bride. We belong together. And it says that we are invited. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it's not just a wedding. It pushes deeper. There's a celebration. In the ancient Near East, 
Eating together was an intimate act. We hang out. We don't invite people to our table unless we have a good relationship or want a relationship with them. The wedding feast was especially momentous and glorious and powerful, and something new is happening. And we're bringing together two disparate people, two different cultures, and putting them together. And there was a feast, and there was fun, and it was celebration. And you are invited to not just be the bride, but you know, brides eat at the wedding too. You're to celebrate with the entire cadre of God's people, past and present, as he wins you as his bride. You're blessed. This is intimate relationship. God wants that. You know what God wants from you? Here's a secret. You know what God really wants from you? You. Ah, well, he wants my obedience. He wants my... uh, He wants you. Everything else falls behind it. Are you prepared to be publicly celebrated as the bride? I see people faint at weddings. Are you ready to be publicly celebrated as the object of God's affection? Because that's where this is going. I don't know how you feel about that, but I hope you feel loved. Well, I'm single. I don't get weddings. Okay. Well, nobody in the kingdom of God is actually single in that regard. We are one people, unified. Marriage does not extend to an eternity. Feel the weight of that. You're in a wedding. Secondly, you're in a war. How do we do that? How do we transition from a celebration to a war? Hey, man, it's revelation. It's going to give you two wild things to look at, and you have to hold that intention because that's where all the good stuff is. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened up. Feel this. This is no longer held in heaven. The threshold between the visible world and the invisible world when Christ returns, melts, is ripped open, is rolled up, depending on how you want to see it. And here, here he comes. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judge and makes war. Who's this? Who's this? Very good. I would quit if somebody said Jesus. I'm like, what have I done here? This is Jesus. He's on the... Do you remember when Jesus went into Jerusalem on the week of Passover? What did he ride in on? Yeah, you know that's kind of ridiculous, right? It's humble. It was prophesied. It's humble. He came to seek and save. You know what he's doing here? He ain't seeking and saving. He's coming back to judge. He's coming back for you. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, that's crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses. Probably the church, but what do you do? Nothing, you follow. From his mouth, comes a sharp sword, that's the word, 
with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Read Psalm 1. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come on, come gather for the great supper of God. This is not the wedding feast. This is a satire now. This is a parody. Come on, birds. Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of the horses and the riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Everybody who set themselves up as, I don't really need the Lord. I'm just going to use this stuff. Every power structure that sought to separate you from reliance on God. Oh, the birds are going to eat it. And on the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, false trinity, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that comes from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged on their flesh. Jesus just spoke, and it ended all of history. If you remember last week, we talked about Babylon, all power structures that seek to reduce your reliance on God tell you there's a better way than trusting him. Don't suffer. That's dumb. Called Babylon a great prostitute. Let me tell you this. Babylon, the great prostitute, wants your wedding day. She wants it. She wants to destroy your wedding day. Oh, that's a dumb. How are you getting that? Well, she said it herself right here. Last week, chapter 18, verse 7, in her heart she says, I sit as queen. I'm no widow. In mourning I shall never see. Friend, she's going to wrap her arm around you and say, hey, 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 don't, don't, wait for, don't wait for Jesus. Like, where's he at? Show me where's he at. I got somebody who actually is here. Beast, false prophet, serpent, whatever. Call it what you want. It's power, it's living good, it's now, it's, it's, it's feeling good, it's self-actualization, it's finding yourself, it's building a life, and God can be a part of it, but he can't be the point. Don't wait for Jesus. Don't, you know what he's going to do? He's going to make you wait, he's going to make you suffer. What kind of a husband does that? She wants to destroy your wedding day. She's all about that. That's why she has to go if your wedding's going to happen. So Babylon is destroyed. The serpent, the beast, and the false prophet who she worships are now in the process of being unraveled by Jesus. He is the rider on the white horse. This is not a literal war that's going to happen on the plains of Armageddon. Don't believe that. We're not slipping through imagery into fact. It's the war that's been going on since the beginning of time, really, that escalates 
There will be wars. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back bodily, in person, and it's going to be glorious, and nobody's going to miss it. And there's no grace after that, to be honest with you. His eyes of fire, as it says, he sees it. He sees everything. He's coming to judge. He has many crowns. That's a polemic against the serpent, wasn't it, in um, chapter 13 or 12, that had seven crowns. It was coming up against the woman, who was the church. Now, Jesus doesn't have seven crowns. He has as many as he wants. He's got all the crowns. He's got a bloody robe because he's a warrior. Now, you know the Apostle John always looks at the vision that God has given him and makes sense of it based on prophetic language. And he's basically writing out of Isaiah chapter 61, 2, and 3, which talks about a bride being clothed in righteousness. And it talks about one who's going to come, who's going to have blood spat on his robe because he's destroying the enemies of God. So the Apostle John's looking at this vision. He's like, okay, I get, I get it. This is Isaiah, right? This is the fulfillment. This is the true husband. This is the suffering servant who's actually going to redeem his people. I'm just going to take you there briefly. Isaiah 63. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who dreads a wine press? Oh, their lifeblood is spattered on your garments. And it says that he has a name that nobody knows, but then it calls him three different names. So what's happening there? He's faithful and true. That means his word is rock solid, true, and faithful. He is doing what God said he would do. He is doing what he said he would do. He is faithful. He is true. Do you know anybody in your life that has that kind of truth? People are starving and dying just to see truth. Jesus, there's no... Divorce between what he says and what he does and what he does and what he says. He's coming back. That's his name. He's also the word of God. He doesn't wield a sword. He wields his word. That's all he needs. And then it says he's king and king of Lord of Lords. So how come nobody knows his name? Let me tell you why I think the text says that. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. So to me, it's a canyon that's grand. You feel, right? It's a canyon, which is a gorge in the earth, and it's grand. It must be good or big. I will understand that name when I stand on the edge of North Rim or South Rim and I look at it. Now Grand Canyon means something totally different. When you're in the presence of the living God, when Jesus, the true husband, the Messiah comes, on that day when he returns, you will understand, everybody will understand with great precision and accuracy his name, true and faithful. Everybody will understand, oh, he is the word. And the word was God and the word was with God. He's the word of God. And everybody will understand with great precision. He is the king over all power structures, all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. We worship him or we fear him, but there's no getting out of it. We understand his name in a way. There's no way we could have known without it. And his judgment over evil ends up in a banquet. It's a parody. It's a banquet of birds. You know, in ancient battlefields, the crows would smell it, and they'd show up, because crows kind of eat stuff like that. It's like their best day. 
So the point is, you either get invited to the supper of the lamb and you respond or you become dinner. That's how history ends. That's what's happening. This is where it's moving towards. How do you respond to that? Come on, keep it in. You're going to have to hold the tension between the wedding and the destruction of evil. And here's what the text is calling you. Here's what the Lord has for you right here, right now. Friends, you're going to a wedding. You're not the victor. Jesus is. Let him handle evil. It's not your war. Like that, at least. You're the bride. So don't show up in shorts and a tank top. Get dressed. Right? The text says that. Get dressed for this wedding. Get dressed. Here's what the text says. And it was granted, this is verse 8, it was granted to her, that's the bride, in other words, God made it possible for her to clothe herself, that's weird, with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So we are called to get dressed. How do we do that? Well, first and foremost, you put on Christ. You cannot overcome evil. He's done it. You cannot repair what's broken in your life and the things you have broken. But you can receive, you can open with open hands the gift of grace that God has for you. And the idea of using garments and clothes is very, very specific. It's not the first time the Bible has done that. It uses that metaphor all the time. Right back to Genesis. What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? They hid. It's like, oh, no, we're naked. I thought we were going to be naked without shame, but now we're feeling shameful because we tried to circumvent God's leadership and his lordship in our lives. And here's presence come, and now, now his presence causes trauma, and I won't be around it. Sew up a leaf. And God, some ball, you know, he, he, he slays an animal and covers them with skins and says, yeah, this is going to work for now, but I'm going to slay my own son and cover you in that. So first and foremost, put on Christ. Put on Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. This is kind of pushes to this idea. For our sake, that's your sake, he made him who knew no sin, this is Jesus, to be sin, think cross, so that in him, that's faith, you might be the righteousness of God. So the righteousness is something that you possess, not something that you perform. But wait a minute, it's that, I will get there. First and foremost, if you live your life, if you execute good works to earn God's approval, you'll be dinner for crows. It doesn't work like, you can't, there's no staying power there. If you believe it's going to be your work, your rightness before God that makes you his bride, you're misunderstanding the gospel. It was always going to be God who's done this. Isaiah even says that. He will clothe his bride in righteousness. So put on Christ, put on his righteousness. Take that on. That's faith. So get dressed. First, if you're feeling naked, it's because you don't know Jesus. 
the way you should at least, or if at all. Friends, Jesus, before he had blood spattered on his robe, metaphorically for overcoming evil, he had a real bloody robe. It wasn't a metaphor, and it was stripped from him because he was scourged. And he was put up on a cross, not behind a building, at a thoroughfare right outside the city where everybody could see him publicly. And he was a bloody mess. And it was shameful. And it was public. And he did this to bear your reproach and to take your shame so that you would never have to worry about nakedness or being exposed. He outed all of our sin publicly and bore the reproach of that. So put on Christ. Secondly, put on good works. Be be a faithful witness. Because it says here, this is really confusing, right? Remember, Revelation is not talking about justification here. It's not talking about your right standing from God. It's assuming you have that as the bride. But it says, it's granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen through her own righteous deeds. If you are going to trust Jesus, especially in this culture, you're going to lose in Rome. Some people lost their lives. Some people lost their jobs. Some people lost their families. I know people in this church who have lost family members, or there's tension there because they choose to trust Jesus. If you are going to be a faithful and true witness, if you're going to hold on to the testimony that says, if you're actually going to live in such a way that your words and your work bring Jesus into focus for other people in and through your life, if you're going to do that, you will necessarily endure loss. Now, it might be voluntary loss. I'm giving up my privacy. I'm giving up my time. I'm spending time, money, resources on the kingdom of God, on people, on showing them Jesus. Or it might be involuntary loss. Oh, I, I skipped a prom- I guess skipping promotion skipped over me because I can't embrace some of the things my workplace is saying. Or, you know, I, had, I just talked to my best friend about Jesus, and they're like, dude, I can't believe you're that much of an idiot. Jesus is saying, on the last day, everything that you've lost because of him is going to shine like diamonds. It's going to clothe you in radiance. You, my friend, will be vindicated 100%. When he comes back, part of his judgment on evil is that he will vindicate and say, oh, no, she's mine. Let me show you what so-and-so did. They actually shared the gospel with that person and lost a friend. They were brave enough to speak to their mom and dad knowing that this was going to feel like treason to them. They were brave enough to give so much away that they had to depend on me for everything. Wrap it up. Dress in it. I want everybody to see it. God will publicly vindicate you as his believer. That's that's what that means. Public vindication. Put on Christ, put on good works, put on a true testimony. Live a life so that Christ comes into focus through how you live. You're verbally exulting a little bit. You wanna hear an underdog story? It's me. Why? Well, look what God has done for me. Bring Jesus into focus. Friends, weddings are expensive. 
I got kids. But they're worth it. They're worth it. Jesus is calling you to be his bride. He's calling you to sit in his intense love for you. He's calling you to endure the not yet, the days where it seems like that's a million miles away. Faithfully, endure loss faithfully. He's going to vindicate everything, friends. Part of the judgment of evil is you will be seen as glorious. Can you handle that? This is his plan, not mine. Your righteousness comes from him, but he lets you learn how to walk in it. Kind of put that coat on, like, yeah, right? Learn how to walk in his righteousness in word and in deed. Trust him. Have you ever trusted him like this? If you're new and you're like, are you saying I can trust in Jesus and I just belong to him? He forgives me of everything? Yeah, it's more than that. He gives you eternity. Oh, that sounds too good. Oh, it's way too good to be true. But this is, this is the faithful and true witness. This is what he gave. This is what he wants for you. Receive it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. It's staggering how you love us. Staggering. It's staggering to look through eternity, both now and in the age to come, and how you lavish your love and your grace on us. Lord, that kind of love changes lives. I pray that it will change us such that it changes how we live today so that you are brought into focus in our life for others. In the name of Jesus, amen.